We never wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters radio property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow and it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter, but not just any Grape Encounter. It is the first Grape Encounter for the year 2016. I know what you're saying. You're saying, wait a second, you were on last weekend, David. That is true, but that was a best of. And by the way, what a best of it was. Now, when I think about best of Grape Encounters, they almost always have to contain a segment with my dear friend, Wes Hagen, who wasn't always a dear friend, but was one of the first guests to ever come on Grape Encounters. If you've been a longtime listener of Grape Encounters, you know, Wes is not just a winemaker. He's a wine educator. He is the author of AVAs and so much more. And Wes, welcome to the Grape Encounters studio. First live show of 2016. Who better to do it with than you? Well, happy new year to you. Happy new year to every listener out there in the wine firmament of the United States and beyond. It's an exciting new year. There's a lot of exciting new wines to try. And every new year reminds me that I got a lot of work to do if I want to keep my palette up to date and know what's happening all throughout the world of wine. It's an exciting time. So I really want to say this. It's going to sound like I'm kissing your behind just a little bit because I always say this. You are, in my mind, one of the easiest persons to get information from where wine is concerned. You know the gory little details about winemaking pretty much more than anybody that I know, but yet you have this ability to communicate it to people in a way that they will understand it. And I think that's why every time I have you on the show, people just go bananas and they write me letters and they go, ah, that Wes Hagen, wow, what a guy he is. Well, that, I was, think that was the case last time you were on as well. I got all kinds of letters about that. Wine should not be difficult. Wine is as easy as sticking your nose in it. If it smells good, put it in your mouth. If it tastes good, drink it and fill the glass again. Anything beyond that is either someone trying to prove that they know more about wine than you or someone trying to sell you something. Why are there so many people that are still intent on using wine as a way of impressing other people? I mean, the truth of the matter is, is I would say even 90, let's say 7% of the people who really enjoy wine, they're not pretentious at not all. Not at all. And you know what? Well, most of the pretentious guys are cab guys. No, and I know you're a cab guy, so I won't put you in that category. No, I'm not a cab. I'm, I'm an everything guy. I kind of hang out with a lot of Pinot Noir people, and it seems like the Pinot Noir people tend to be, well, at least pre-sideways. I like to say sideways did for Pinot Noir what the Soviet Union did for socialism. But back in the old days before sideways, Pinot Noir was sort of the grape that the seekers would go after. And I like the philosophy 
philosophy of Pinot Noir, hard to grow, hard to understand, but also immediately And, and so you're telling me that those people are, are the less pretentious ones? They can be. Oh, be, get out of here. No, absolutely, because you, That Pinot is so Noir, not true. It is, though, because Pinot Noir encourages the people that are looking for something difficult. And difficult does not mean pretentious. Difficult is often something sought after by those that want to challenge themselves. And what I find is Cabernet is the king. It's big, it's broad, it's a dense, understandable wine. Pinot Noir is a little more dreamlike. You almost have to... I don't like the use of that phrase, dense, understandable. It is. is. It's it's a little monolithic. Cabernet is a little monolithic. Uh, a Cabernet is a heavy metal song. It's three notes. Jong, jong, while Pinot Noir is a little more jazz-like. It has more flourishes. It's a little bit more ethereal. I hate jazz. Uh, that's your problem. <laughs> I got some jazz that you can listen to. Some old Grant Green or maybe... Uh, so so Cabernet is a three-note wine. It tends to be a little bit now. I'm not talking about Bordeaux. Bordeaux, they don't make Cabernet Sauvignon. Hang on a second. Security! <laughs> uh, yes, can you escort this man out to the front door? I can't believe you're saying that. Well, we are you, in You Paso. hurt my feelings the very first show of 2016. I'm not here to hurt anyone's feelings. What I'm saying is the place where Cabernet was born in Bordeaux, France, they would never make 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. If you did in Bordeaux, they would look at you funny and they would say, that's like putting muscles on more muscles. How about the Cabernet Franc for the aromatics? How about the Merlot for the suppleness? How about the Petite Verdot okay, for I'm the stop color? You. you know what I'm drinking more than anything else right now? Look me in the eye. Do you think I'm going to tell you the truth right now? I do. Cab Franc. Cab Franc rocks. I love Cab Franc. You know what? Cab Franc generally does better in California in almost every place where it's grown Yeah, well, than well, Cabernet and, Sauvignon and, and as, the, a, as, a, as a standalone varietal. And, and the funny thing is, everybody thinks of Cabernet Sauvignon as being the big daddy wine, you know? Yeah, yeah. But in reality, it was the son who really betrayed his father and mother. Because Cabernet Sauvignon was the love child of Cab Franc and Sauvignon Blanc, it's right? It's a weird grape. And so Cab Franc was the big daddy for yeah. all those many years. Cabernet Sauvignon comes along after this seedy affair that Cab Franc had with Sauvignon Blanc, and then eventually just kicked dad aside. Well, as Americans, we should be proud. It's always the mutt, you know, chaos theory, right? Throw enough stuff at the wall. It, it's usually the combination of things that makes the most sort of profound statement. Okay. I so didn't think that when you walked into the studio today that we were going to be debating <laughs> the virtues of Cabernet Sauvignon versus Pinot Noir. So we're sure. gonna, we got to move on past Absolutely. that. Because right now I'm actually drinking one of your Pinots because you are now with the Jay Wilkes family of wines, That's right? correct. So this Pinot here, is yes. this a uh, cab lover's Pinot? Oh, wait a <sighs> second. I haven't even tasted it yet. Well, so I'm get, go get some it. in your mouth and I'll tell you tell a little bit about it. Tell me what it is it. while it, I'm sipping it. It's 2013 Santa Maria Valley Jay Wilkes Pinot Noir. It's a blend of a number of vineyards within the Santa Maria Valley. In California. In California, Central yeah. Coast. And it is an approachable, delicious, balanced Pinot Noir. Just got a gold medal at the World Wine Championships and a 91-point score from those judges. We're really, really proud of that. I would call it a medium-bodied Pinot. You wouldn't you know, mistake it for a rosé, but you certainly wouldn't mistake it for a Syrah either. It's got a beautiful medium garnet color. It's got very bright, you know, ripe aromatics of cherry, sort of dark cherry, a little bit of raspberry, baking spice, a little bit of French oak and vanilla, the wine. Uh, I, I, and you're making it very complicated right now. I People am. are trying to write this down feverishly. <laughs> no, you don't have to write anything down here. Uh, okay, but let me ask you this about Pinot yeah. for a second because sure. you just described so many characteristics in Pinot that, I mean, I couldn't even wrap my arms around everything in this particular wine. But to me, there's such a broad range of Pinots that saying you like Pinot is 
kind of like saying you like music. Yeah. You're like, what kind? Right. Like, you know, I hate those sort of musty, dank, you know, sort of rotting leaf kind of pinots, but, but those are very popular, right? The forest uh, floor pinots? Well, I mean, there's definitely a lot of expression in Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir really produces more esters, which are the things that we can smell. If something comes out of a wine and you can smell it, it's an ester. I mean, there's esters that come out of paint. There's esters that come out of gasoline. Ester is just something that's in a, in a liquid that when it comes up in the glass, you can smell it. So Pinot Noir produces the most complicated set of esters than any beverage ever made by human beings. So, I mean, yeah, whiskey can be complicated. Wine can be complicated. Spirits can be complicated. But Pinot Noir offers more sort of combinations and uh, more esters than any okay, wine so on d- the planet. D- just tell me this, okay? Yeah. Why is it that I tend to migrate more toward California Russian River Valley Pinots, okay. Oregon Pinots, and also French Pinots. Well, those, I would and we say... we wouldn't call them French Pinots, but you know what I'm Burgundy. saying. Burgundy, sure. Yeah. I would say Burgundy and Oregon tend to produce the earthiest Pinot Noirs on the planet. But that's not what I'm getting That's because California those. has now taught Oregon and Burgundy how to make clean wine. Honestly, honestly. It used to be that we would say what our, did you just say? California taught Oregon, Oregon and Burgundy. And, and Burgundy to make clean wine. To make clean wine. So you're a, saying that that mustiness is actually a problem in the... In the winery, in the winery it could be dirty barrels, it could be Britannomyces, it could be Leuconostoc, yeah. it could be Lactobacillus, it could be a lot of different ugly little long names that I don't have to bore you <laughs> with. Here's the issue. We used to send our young California winemakers to Burgundy to learn how to make Pinot Noir. Now you know what happens? They're sending them here. They send them to California. Have you had any of them that you've taken under your wings? Yes, I have. I had have. A, a ninth generation Chablisian winemaker named Adrien Gautrin. And uh, Raoul Gautrin is his grandfather and it's a ninth generation. It's basically the Gautrin family who makes Chablis. They make a, a Primake crew, a Grand Cru Chablis, a Petit Chablis, and a Chablis. Okay, so Wes, we were going to talk about the trends for 2016. Yes. And instead, we've talked about Pinot. You you always drag the conversation back to Pinot, don't you? Pinot Noir is the most confounding and amazing beverage on the planet. Scotch, I love you too. Riesling's amazing. But Pinot Noir is something that you can professionally be confounded and challenged by for your entire life. Okay, it's, so can we talk about trends in the overall wine business in 2016? Should we just do the whole show on Pinot? Well, you know, Pinot Noir, it always comes back to Pinot. I mean, Zinfandel, you know, I mean, that's very, very important. Cabernet is very important. But when I think about what drives my imagination, the conversation usually comes back to Pinot Noir. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, we have listeners all over the world. So we're going to drag them here, there and everywhere. We'll be back, hey, with more Grape Encounters. One of my absolute favorite guests, there is nothing that is more delightful in my job than to have Wes Hagen come in. By the way, with several bottles of wine today as well. I would be remiss. It's a brand ambassador. I, that would be I like, had some really nice wines picked out for you, some expensive stuff, and I, <laughs> and I didn't even have to crack them open. So we'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this with my special guest, Wes Hagen from the Jay Wilkes winemaking family. But more importantly, one of the great experts on wine in the known world will return right after this. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. If you work in the wine industry or are a wine lover that spends more than $25 a bottle, you should not be without the all-new Coravin Model 2 Wine Access System. The Coravin is a game changer, allowing you to extract as little or as much wine from the bottle without removing the foil or the cork. As wine is poured from the bottle, inert argon replaces it, keeping the remaining wine inside absolutely pristine. 
That means you can drink the remaining wine in a week, month, or a year from now without any chance of oxidation or spoilage. The Coravin is the brainchild of a medical devices inventor who was tired of seeing delicious wine go bad because it wasn't consumed in one sitting. Today, it's the most important tool any wine enthusiast can own. The new Coravin Model 2 is available online at GrapeEncounters.com. Or if you're on California's Central Coast, you can see a demonstration or pick yours up at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. Learn more about the Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. A lot of people ask me why Manzanita Manor's incredible Portuguese dessert wine is called Two Horse. Well, the reason behind the name is as extraordinary as the wine itself. It's because the owner and winemaker at Manzanita Manor Organics actually uses two beautiful horses to pull the plow on her farmland. When you take your very first sip of the Two Horse Vineyard's irresistible dessert wine, you'll immediately experience the winemaker's unparalleled connection to the land. It's what really makes it so good. You can purchase this exceptional wine online, as well as their purely delicious walnut oil, 100% organic heirloom walnuts, and free-trade chocolate-covered walnuts. To learn more about all the Manzanita Manor Organics products, visit mmorganics.com. You can order all their walnut products there, and bottles of two horse, of course. Purchase and shipping subject to state and local regulations. Please see mmorganics.com for more information. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. Stop, stop them grapes. And make that wine. Put it in a bottle, boys, and ship it on down the line. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio. And what better way to start the new year than to have Wes Hagen in the studio? He's with Jay Wilkes now, but used to be the winemaker at Clopepe. But alas, Clopepe is no mo. Well, the vineyard is now still producing beautiful fruit for the Hall and Walt Winery up in St. Helita, California. So the vineyard is still owned by my family. The vineyard is being leased to Hall and Walt for the next 15 years. But the Clopepe Estate Wines, the 2014 was the last vintage that we bottled. And we're putting that label to bed for a little while. Let me explain a little bit as to why I think you are such a significant guest to have in here. You, for many years, made wine in the Santa Rita Hills of the Central Coast of California. Correct. That was where the movie Sideways was set. Yes, and it was. literally, you were the person who co-authored that AVA right. and you know that designated area. And really, the focus that Sideways put on Pinot Noir was really aimed right at that spot where you're at, literally. It, it was. You it was, and the Rich, Richard Sanfords of the world and, sure. and some of the other great winemakers there, which particularly make Pinot and Chardonnay and a few other things sure. there, but mostly Pinot, right? Pinot Noir is definitely the star of the Santa Rita Hills. I think the Chardonnay may be the most stunning grape that we grow down there. It doesn't get quite the same what, attention. What does it feel like to know that probably the most popular wine-related movie of all time and one of the most influential fictional films of all time was centered on 
an area that you helped put on the map. I, I mean, that you largely helped put well, on the map. I mean, I would back up and just say, yes, the Santa Rita Hills is one of the most special places in anywhere in the world where Pinot Noir is being produced in Chardonnay as well. I would have to defer to the history and say that guys like Richard Sanford, Rick Longoria, Brian Babcock, those are the heroes. I came in. Yeah, and, but you gave it a name. Well, I mean, we gave it a name. Okay. I, I, I want to give you all the credit. No, no. And I would love to take the credit. And in fact, anyone who knows my personality knows that I'm not one to shy away from a little bit of attention. But I have to say that Richard Sanford and Michael Benedict planting the Sanford and Benedict Vineyard in 1972, that was huge. That was a huge leap of faith to plant grapes in an area that had never been really planted before. Yeah. So the Santa Rita Hills is a very, very special place. But the Santa Rita Hills also relies very heavily on the history of the Santa Maria Valley. And the Santa Maria Valley was sort of where Pinot Noir cut its baby teeth. Okay. All right. So let's jump into another topic, which sure. is actually going to be multiple topics. 2016. Yes. I mean, first of all, 2015 was a roller coaster ride in the wine business all around the world for a lot of different reasons. What do you think are the things that we should be watching for in 2016? What are the trends that have already taken root and where are we going? What should we be watching for? What are the most significant things that you think will happen in 2016, at least from your perspective? Well, I think I want to start with some insider trading and give you guys some secrets. And really? That is, and that's some stuff that only really people in the industry know, and that is that bulk wine on the market. All right, uh, explain what that is. Okay. Bulk wine is wine that doesn't have a home. It's wine that was made. It's usually quite good, and it's looking for a home, and it usually sells somewhere between 5 and $30 a gallon. And, and a lot of people don't realize that so much of the wine that you see in retailers, where you see a label that you've never seen before, you may only see that label that one year. That's right. Because, because the, it was a label that was made for for bulk juice right. that might have been finished off by another winemaker, but it was made in bulk yep. before it even had a name, before it even had a home. It might have ended up being blended in with something else, but eventually it shows up on retail shelves and it's a one-off. It is, and that's what you're going to see at stores like Trader Joe's, stores like sometimes like Costco, where you're going to see kind of a private label that was developed exactly for that reason because there was extra wine in the market. So we had 2012, 2013, 2014, very high yield years. So there was quite a bit of wine. So because there was a lot of wine, the wine was very good value. So that but wine... I, but I noticed you stopped at 2014. I did. And that's very important to this. Okay, why? I'll tell you the end of the story. I'll just jump to the end. And that is, in my own business, I noticed on our weekly sales calls that bulk Chardonnay went from $7 a gallon to $20 a gallon within a 10-day period in whoa, 2015 whoa, whoa, whoa. in that's August. a threefold increase. A threefold increase as a commodity. $7 for a gallon. How many bottles of wine? 750 five, bottles. Five bottles. Five bottles it's a fifth, to a, a gallon. A fifth. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, you know, buck a bottle up to $3 a bottle within 10 days. Why? Why? Well, it's because a lot of companies were looking at yield projections to see how much fruit was hanging in the vineyards of California. And early on, and I have to give Kendall Jackson credit, it was Kendall Jackson who wanted to buy that wine. And Kendall Jackson, of course, has their finger on the pulse of the wine industry. So Kendall Jackson was, to me, one of the first people to really recognize in late July, early uh, August, how low the yields were going to be in California in 2015. So the point of this to your average listener is we are just finishing a period of time in U.S. wine where wine has never been a better value in the history of humankind. I don't like the word finished very much. It's almost there. And you're you're a wine retailer as well. And you got to realize you should be encouraging your customers to buy and fill their cellars as much as possible in the next With six months. With wine that's already in the bottle. All the, already in the bottle. Because when the 2015 goes in the bottle, price it's is going to be up. a lot higher. And you're going to see 14 and 13 prices increasing as producers recognize they don't have as much and, and inventory. The funny, and not many people really want to talk about this, but 15 is not going to go down as 
a great wine year in the U.S. Is it? <sighs> well, I don't want to start. Put on your Grim Reaper cape for just a moment. The 15s I've had have been very expressive and okay, quite beautiful. Right. And, and the thing is, is there's going to be less of them. But I think the feeling is, is we're going to see a little more intensity than we've seen in the last few years. I've been hearing people talking about sort of a, an amalgam of 2010 and 2013. 10 was very, very ripe and very, very intense. 13 was a little more elegant. I think you're going to see less amounts of wine, but a very high quality wine being made in 2015. If it was a bad vintage, like 2008, a vintage where I think that there was a problem, I'm not going to tell your listeners something that's not true. In 2008, you should never buy an 08 unless you taste it first. By the way, right now, they're your listeners too. Thank you. Okay. To, I love to claim that. Yeah. But what I would say is 2015 would be a vintage for me that from a producer I trust, I would buy the wine without tasting it. So will the retail wine also increase by threefold? No. Probably not. Oh, no. no. You can't do that. I mean, one thing that we're I really, really good. I want. One thing that's very, very true of the wine business is it's not a business that you're into it specifically to make a profit. You're in it for the passion. You're in it for everything about so, the so wine what, industry. So what will the threefold bulk wine increase translate into for the consumer? Well, I'm certainly not a wine economist, but I would say you could expect to see wine increase somewhere probably between 10 and 15% in the in the calendar year no, of 2016. That's nothing. Well, I mean, it, if you, it, it's so, nothing if you drink a bottle a week. It's a hell of a lot well, that's if you drink true. a bottle so, a night. So once it's up there, is it going to stay there? If we have a really great crop for 2016, are the wine prices likely to stay up there or will they creep back down? I would love to say they would creep back down, but here's the thing about wine. If you lower the price, sometimes you actually lose market share. Great story. One of the best winemakers in Santa Barbara made one of the most beautiful Merlots I've ever tasted, 2012 Merlot. And I was tasting it in his tasting room in Santa Barbara County in Los Olivos. And I was drinking this wine and I asked how much it was. He said it was $28 and he's having a hard time moving it. I said, that's ridiculous. It's delicious. He said, okay, what he wanted to do, he talked to his marketing person. His marketing person says, sell it for 42 bucks. He bumped the price from 28 to 42 and sold the wine out in three weeks. <laughs> well, I think it works that way with everything. It's anchoring. You want to make sure that you Anybody that wears Tommy Bahama shirts knows that. <laughs> okay. All right. We're talking to Wes Hagen. He is a winemaker. He is a wine educator. He is a wine judge. He is an AVA author. He goes and hunts wild game with a bow and arrow. He is the ultimate renaissance man. And more importantly than anything else, he's my friend, confidant, and the person I go to when I can't answer it myself, which is an awful lot of the time. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of California. Want to know David's very favorite products for wine lovers? You can see them at GrapeEncounters.com. GrapeEncounters.com is where you'll find a hand-picked selection of products and accessories for wine enthusiasts that you aren't likely to find most other places. The selection of must-have wine-related products is awesome. So are the low prices. We have the all-new Corbin plus accessories, gifts, wine games, collectibles, and so much more at GrapeEncounters.com. You'll love the unique wine products waiting for you at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero 
the gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. Living in and broadcasting from one of the world's finest wine regions makes it virtually impossible not to make frequent references to the multitude of amazing things going on here on the central coast of California. Grape Encounters Radio has built one of the world's most unique wine bars so that you can have the opportunity to come to the city of Atascadero and enjoy great wines and equally good conversation with me and other visitors. Best of all, my favorite hotel in the area is literally right across the street, the historic Carlton Hotel with accommodations that are both beautiful and affordable. The Carlton Hotel takes you back to a glorious time in California history. And now that the wine industry has ushered in yet another exciting new chapter here on the Central Coast, you can experience the best of then and now. Book your accommodations at the lovingly restored Carlton Hotel in Atascadero. Then, let me help you plan daily excursions that will create a lifetime of unforgettable memories. You'll find a link to the Carlton Hotel at GrapeEncounters.com. My heart is And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. with Grape Encounters Radio and in the studio for the first real show of 2016, Wes Hagen, winemaker, wine author, educator, AVA author, brand ambassador for Jay Wilkes. It's a very fancy way California. I get to travel the world and drink with people and they pay me for That's it. way more fun than making wine, isn't it? Uh, I make wine too. I'm the consulting winemaker there. I know, Jay but Wilkes consulting's people. way better because you don't have to do it the whole time. You know what? They both have their own vibe. In 10 seconds or less, winemaking is fantastic. Fantastic, but being in the cellar, you know, in most of the beautiful weather during the fall can be a bummer. Traveling can also be a bummer, but I love what I do. I wake up every morning excited to get out into the market and basically proselytize and be a preacher for wine. You know, every person who knows you, honestly, that I've ever talked to about you says the same thing. You're one of the smartest guys in the wine business. Do you think you're smart? (laughs) Do I think I'm smart? Yeah, do you? I, I think I was given a beautiful brain genetically, and I've done a pretty good job of keeping it from falling apart. But I have an excellent liberal arts education, excellent high school education. So if I am, I owe a lot of teachers a lot of wine. All right. So you'll be paying that up hopefully in 2016. We're talking about what kinds of things we ought to be looking for in 2016. What are some of the things that we'll expect to see? We talked a a little while ago about the fact that wine prices may be going up because of the relatively diminutive harvest in 2015. Let's talk about blending for a second. Sure. Because this is something that I've really been paying very close attention to. It wasn't that long ago that we hardly blended anything. Yeah. Then we started blending more within certain families, whether it was Rhone or Bordeaux or whatever. Now we're blending across family lines. Yes. Is and that going to continue? Cool and Absolutely. are we getting a little carried away with this now? No, we're maturing as a wine industry. Think about it like this. You cannot, as a chef, use spices unless you know what those individual spices taste like in your spice box. Now that we've been absolutely fascinated by varietal wines, Riesling, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Cabernet Sauvignon as their own thing. Now we understand the spice box. Now we can start to play. So what are you most excited about as far as blends are concerned? First of all, I'm starting to see 
Zinfandel yes. being blended in with some things that you wouldn't typically see it blended in with. Right. And that's kind of unusual. But then Zinfandel is one of those grapes that's kind of out there all by itself. It's almost like a homeless child. It is a weird grape because, you know, it's probably either comes from Primitivo or a Georgian grape that I can't pronounce. But Zin is one of our heritage varietals as Californians. Zinfandel but doesn't, doesn't seem to have a family. It doesn't, but it's ancient. It's both old and new. It's gone through enough genetic mutation in the United States that now it's become its own varietal. But you know what's funny is they're growing Zin in Australia now. Yeah. So it's, that's and, like... And why wouldn't they? Well, you know, I, I like to say California winemakers were just a bunch of arrogant thieves. We go to France, Italy, Spain, steal their grapes, put them on our soil, and then pat ourselves on the back like we were brilliant to do so. And do it better a lot of the time. Well, we do a very good job in California making wine. We make some of the best wine in the world. But it's so cool to see Australia coming over and stealing one of our heritage grapes and putting it in the ground. So it's all well and good. And the most exciting blends that I'm seeing right now to answer that question is I tend to love red wines that have a little white wine added to them. For instance? Uh, the Cote Roti. In the Cote Roti, which is in the North Rhone, by law, they can add 20 percent Viognier to Syrah to make a Cote Roti. Now, of course, you'd think you add 10 percent of Viognier to a Syrah, you're going to lose color, right? No, you gain color because white grapes... How is that possible? White grapes actually increase the color that comes out of red grapes. How is that possible? It's an enzyme within the grapes, a pectic enzyme that actually releases color in the red. So you add a little bit of Viognier, not only do you get the beautiful floral aromatics and the complexity, but you also end up getting a darker, richer wine. <laughs> that was worth the price of people paid to listen to the show today. That's that. You I know. had no idea. All right. Let's talk about varietals. Yeah. There are some varietals that are starting to really rear their heads uh, in the last couple of years. What are going to be some of the hot, I don't want to call them new varietals hmm. because, you know, none of them are new. Right. But what are the varietals that we're not accustomed to seeing that we're going to see more and more of? Well, here's the prognostication. I mean, we've been talking about Syrah for what, 20 years? Yeah. Is it Syrah's time? I would like to think so. I mean, if you want to talk on the geek side, Riesling is very important. The Austrian Wine Council is doing an excellent job of promoting Austrian wine styles. Gruner, Veltliner, Riesling, Gewürztraminer. But gosh, you know, uh, aromatic whites are always exciting. Uh, what about Mouved? Tough. I would say Mouved will uh, will probably never pop the way that we would see. I'm going to disagree with you. It's so uh, hard. You know, I, I, I've been to some big tastings where there have been a lot of winemakers there. I'm seeing a lot of Mouved yeah. showing up. I mean... Tanat. Uh, what about Tanat? Tonight, tonight, we'll drink some wine tonight. Tonight, I mean, if you're in Uruguay, I mean, it's tough because it's great wine. It does, but generally, for stuff that we use like alcohol um, and even tobacco, we are brand people, and the brands. Yeah, but we're getting much more daring as wine. I hope so. You think? Yeah, I would love to say people will start drinking Gruner Veltliner. I would love to say people will start drinking Mouvedre. I would love to say people will drink more Cava and Prosecco. know drinking they're drinking more kava and prosecco. That's right, because sparkling and, wine as opposed is to awesome. champagne. Yes, because and, of the and price. And you know, I don't think people really get this about sparkling wines. I mean, sparkling wines are red hot right now. They've been for several years. They continue to grow in popularity. And people often say to me, "Why do I like that kava or I like that prosecco better than champagne? Mm. Why?" Well, the answer Cheap. is because it's not chardonnay and it's not pinot. And sometimes we want to taste something different in a sparkling wine, and yeah. that's why I think that people like prosecco and. Looking at the trends, I think sparkling wine will continue because obviously it's delicious. It's easy to drink. It's one wine that I try to drink every day. And right now I'm definitely drinking more sparkling wine than anything else. All right. So you know what I think is going to be one of the hottest trends? I got to throw this in because we're almost done with this. I want to hear. Winemakers getting into spirits. 
Mm. This is a big thing. Yeah. Have you noticed that? How many wineries are now making spirits? Well, it's illegal in the state of California to make spirits or beer in the same facility where you make wine. So you have to get a new building. But yeah, I mean, winemakers are drinkers. There's no doubt about it. And spirits have always driven my imagination. But you know, what's really funny is if you go to Europe, like I did a pretty long trip in Greece last year. The thing that I noticed was every winery in Greece was distilling their skins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's illegal in California. You have to actually send it off to be rectified or to be turned into grappa or eau de vie. You know, it would be a great thing if we weren't so hamstrung by the laws about alcohol in this country, thanks to Mr. Volstead and the 18th Amendment. And when the 18th Amendment was repealed, all these laws were turned over to the states. And now the states are sort of beholden to the large distributors and such. So we've got 50 laws, 50 states. I think we should start doing what they've done in the South, as we were talking about earlier. When the bootlegging got so bad, when the, you know, making liquor in the in the woods got so bad. They You're talking made, about in modern times. Absolutely. Yeah. They've now allowed all these bootleggers now to, to start legally making booze and making the permitting process easy. All right. I'm going to give you one minute to give me three trends for 2016. Okay. Can you do so it? I'll try to use ones I haven't used thus far. Number one, I would say Americans will probably learn from craft beer that use craft beer as a stepping point for understanding style and craft and will start to even drink more wine. I think wine will claim a little bit more of the craft beer drinkership, if there's a word. Okay. That's number one. Okay, good. Wine consumption will increase. Number two, Americans, because of the complicated nature of wine, will continue and increasingly use the internet more and critics less. I would say like Antonio Galani, uh, his Venice publication, uh, it's got a new uh, Venice, I think a V-I-N-O-U-S. He's really trying to make it absolutely the greatest way of understanding wine on the internet. I think uh, Antonio will succeed. So that's number two. Just question, what about all these people who have worked their hearts out to become master psalms, and we're seeing more and more people becoming that? Is the psalm a flash in the pan? No, because Americans will always, those that can afford the finest wines will never have enough time to understand them. So the same. So they're still going to turn to a human being and not the internet. That's like, will we lose translators at the UN? Okay. All right. Right. All right. That's okay. All right. You get one more. That's it. Okay, third trend. I would say Americans will continue down the path of drinking what they like and not being told what to drink. So I think Americans, our first responsibility is to call BS on Europe, right? I mean, that's why we broke away from England, you know, back uh, in the 18th century. So Americans are fiercely independent, and we need to be fiercely independent to drink what we love, to love what we drink, and to focus ourselves and to take a chance. Now, Wes Hagen, isn't that what we've been telling people for seven years on Grave Encounters? Yes, we have. Drink what you like. Don't don't let anybody tell you what you like. If you don't like it, don't drink it. And if you like it, drink it. And, you know, forget what anybody thinks. I only – everything I've ever learned in three decades of making and selling wine can be summarized in three rules of drinking wine. Number one, stick your nose in that glass. If it smells good, go to step two. Put it in your mouth. If it tastes good, drink that glass and fill it up again. That's all anyone on this planet ever needs to know about wine. Sniff, drink, refill. All right. Wes Hagen, a pleasure having you in. i got to make room now because Sarah Schneider, I know you love her. I do. Sarah Schneider, wine editor of Sunset Magazine, one of the two biggest lifestyle publications in all of the known world. She'll be here next. But in the meantime, Wes Hagen, always a pleasure to have you on. Hey, if you get a chance, gang, go on YouTube and just Google Wes Hagen. W-E-S-H-A-G-E-N. He's got awesome videos online that you will just bust a gut watching, (laughs) and you will learn a whole lot more than you can possibly imagine by watching Wes. Wes, thanks a lot. You bet. Okay, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters and uh, Sarah Schneider from Sunset Magazine right after this. Grape Encounters Radio. 
the show that insists when life gives you lemons, you sell them for a wine. We like to talk about wine. Want to know David's very favorite products for wine lovers? You can see them at GrapeEncounters.com. GrapeEncounters.com is where you'll find a hand-picked selection of products and accessories for wine enthusiasts that you aren't likely to find most other places. The selection of must-have wine-related products is awesome. So are the low prices. We have the all-new Coravin plus accessories, gifts, wine games, collectibles, and so much more at GrapeEncounters.com. You'll love the unique wine products waiting for you at GrapeEncounters.com. Grape Encounters Radio is based in Atascadero, California for good reason. It's the heart of the Central Coast wine country and the perfect home base for endless adventures. Atascadero is friendly, affordable, and offers unparalleled access to world-class equestrian ranches, bicycle trails, hiking, breathtaking beaches, cutting-edge culinary experiences, and endless wine country adventures. Learn more about Atascadero. The gateway to good times at visitatascadero.com. If you work in the wine industry or are a wine lover that spends more than $25 a bottle, you should not be without the all-new Coravin Model 2 Wine Access System. The Coravin is a game changer, allowing you to extract as little or as much wine from the bottle without removing the foil or the cork. As wine is poured from the bottle, inert argon replaces it, keeping the remaining wine inside absolutely pristine. That means you can drink the remaining wine in a week, month, or a year from now without any chance of oxidation or spoilage. The Coravin is the brainchild of a medical devices inventor who was tired of seeing delicious wine go bad because it wasn't consumed in one sitting. Today, it's the most important tool any wine enthusiast can own. The new Coravin Model 2 is available online at GrapeEncounters.com. Or if you're on California's Central Coast, you can see a demonstration or pick yours up at the Grape Encounters Emporium in Atascadero. Learn more about the Coravin at GrapeEncounters.com. She's earthy, honest, and sipping each week as a service to you. From Sunset Magazine, it's Sarah Schneider, and this is Sipping with Sarah on Grape Encounters Radio. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and now finally on the line with me is our own beloved Sarah Schneider, the wine editor from Sunset Magazine, and somebody who has been absent from Grape Encounters for about three or four weeks now. Sarah, we have missed you so much. Hey, David. It's really good to be back. We've had holidays. We've had disruptions, but here I am. You and I are like trying to catch two greased pigs. Not sure I like that image. Maybe a greased peacock for you anyway, but a lot of things going on with Sunset Magazine, moving into a new headquarters there and doing a lot of stuff, and we're going to get caught up on that next week because I'm going to be with you you next week and we'll be able to talk in person. But in the meantime, I wanted to kick things off for the new year. This is our first live show of the new year. And I wanted to kick things off by kind of revisiting some of the stories from 2015 because I went around to major wine blogs and websites for various publications like Wine Enthusiast and Wine Spectator, etc. And I wanted to get their take on what the big stories they thought 
thought were for 2015? You know, we matched up a little bit, but not too much. I'm not sure I would have the same perspective on it, even maybe what the stories are, but but they've got to be interesting. It was an interesting year. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about a few of them. I don't know whether it's better to ask you what you think the big stories were or just to look at some of their suggestions, but this from wine enthusiast Adam Strum. Sure. His number one story, the drought on the West Coast. That certainly is one of the top three. But what I found very interesting was how whenever anybody talked about the drought, they didn't really talk about the impact on the wines. And I think that's a subject that a lot of publications maybe tap dance around. But what do you think the general take is on the 2015 harvest now that we've got it behind us? Well, I think the drought was a huge issue in that harvest. It was just eerily early. And when you drill down, it sounds to me like most winemakers were attributing that in a big way to the drought. And there was a very warm, dry winter before that. So it pushed it up. Everything pushed faster. And then the harvest came in really quickly. And I actually think that shortened the growing season. And they sort of sidestepped around the quality issue. Oh, yeah, it, it was early. The sugars were there, but we had the flavors too. And so the quality is going to be great. But I think that that was a lot of sidestepping. I think in some places it was too short of a season and they had to pick because the sugars were high, but they didn't get that flavor ripeness. And maybe the bigger story is the fact that the harvest in many areas was really, really down by catastrophic proportions. But that wasn't the drought that caused that. That was an early bud break followed by cold weather. Though I think it's much easier for people just to assume it was just another weird weather wacky weather thing, which it probably is a weird, wacky weather thing, but not the drought itself. Yeah. But then, yeah, so there wasn't fruit set. And I think the overall message from the winemakers is that in these earlier years of the drought, it can actually concentrate things and, and get more intensity of flavor, but it's not sustainable. Your vineyards can't live with that for years and years. All right. Let's move on to a couple of other stories here. One that you and I both really got up in arms about this one, and that was the arsenic story. Arsenic in oh. wine. It's, it's <laughs> surfaced in March, and you and I lit up like a thousand pounds of fireworks over that one. <laughs> what do you think now? I mean, this, the lawsuit's still out there. Do you think that was the big story or one of the top stories for 2015? You know, I would put that as a sideshow story. It's like it was a total distraction. This, um, with the people waving their arms about this dangerous arsenic and, and going after the deep pockets in the wine industry with their lawsuit when it was really based on a non-starter, on the fact that that there are arsenic levels allowed in water and yeah. they were applying those to wine, which is sort of yeah. not a, scientific. A, a completely nonsensical story that got a lot of people alarmed, but then again, a lot of people still believe in Santa Claus. So <laughs> there you have it. All right. Another one that I thought was interesting on a, a couple of people's list was social media becoming wine's top conversation platform. Thoughts? Oh, I do have some thoughts. I actually am right in the middle right now of checking out all of the top wine apps that have just burgeoned out there. There are actually a ton of them, and it comes down to a handful that most people are using. But it's really interesting because they're actually getting their opinions about wine and their discoveries about wine through these apps. And now they're buying wine through the apps, um, clicking through. And I actually think that it is shifting the whole conversation. And you and I earlier were talking about the role of the sommelier. And 
it's sort of changing that role. People come in with existing opinions, and they know what section of the wine list they're going to go well, to, so, and, so and they even know how much they should pay for it. That's interesting because one of the top stories listed by one enthusiast was that the sommeliers have reached celebrity status, but is that a flash <laughs> in the pan? Did, did all these people work that hard to become master psalms, and now they're being replaced by apps? I'd hate to hear that. Isn't that ironic? Wine <laughs> is an ironic industry, isn't it? I don't think that's a flash in the pan. I think it will continue. There are superstars, and you know, we had the movie Psalm, and that made a few of them. In fact, the whole category turned them into superstar status. I don't see that changing anywhere in the near future, but I think that that's a rarefied echelon, and for good reason. Maybe it comes back to social media. There is an app called Delectable that a lot of pros in the industry put their notes on, and so you can actually follow their opinions on social media. People should not rely on apps. They should just rely on you and I. That's it. Okay, there (laughs) you go. Simple. All right, (laughs) we got less than a minute. Sarah, your vote for top story for 2015. What do you say? You know, I'm going to go with a consumer issue. I think 2015 was the year that wine on tap exploded and almost no new restaurant opened without some taps devoted to wine and more and more wineries were kegging their wine and um, I think that that has actually been a game changer for wines by the glass programs because it used to be that what you got might have been opened three days ago and as a bottle and, and it was oxidized and now you've got wines by the glass that are totally sound every time. I think that was a good story. I think it's actually a great story and I think the role of the Coravin and the role of machines like Enomatic too in being right. able to enjoy great wines by the glass without having to buy a $150 bottle of wine is an awesome thing and maybe one of the greatest blessings to come to the wine consumer world. So there you right. have it. Yeah, forget all the political stuff. I'm into the uh, pure pleasure principle of wine and that would be a good story. All right, well, Sarah, I will see you next week in person and we're going to talk about wine trends. We talked about it some with your friend Wes Hagen earlier today and you and i are going to do that next week all right that's going to do it for grape encounters we will see you here next time in the meantime hey pick up an issue of sunset magazine or check them out online and read what sarah has to say about wine you don't need an app you just need sarah schneider and david wilson that's going to do it for grape encounters we'll see you next week